Thanks for coming back to another episode of the My Technicians podcast. Today's guest is Greg Garden, the Chief Technology Officer for NTT LTD, a top managed service provider. We talk about how the cybersecurity landscape is shifting in 2022 and beyond, changes in ransomware and malware, the cybersecurity skills gap, and how the public sector is helping the private sector combat cybercrime. Before we get to Greg, here's a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast to hear weekly interviews with IT experts that can help you make the right technology decisions for your organization. And now here's Greg Garden. All right, so we now welcome on Greg Garden, the Chief Technology Officer for NTT Security. Uh, Greg, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so Greg, we're talking about uh, cybersecurity trends in 2022 after after uh, kind of a crazy year for for infosec folks um so how do you see the cybersecurity landscape shif- shifting in 2022 you know how will it evolve from 2021 i think that we're we're going to definitely see more of uh, supply chain related issues it's kind of becoming right. you know the the big catch-all phrase for a lot of um issues that are actually have been in the making for a really long time and so I think it, it seems like the definition of what is a supply chain related cybersecurity issue has is constantly expanding. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be more of that. So um, more solar winds, more leverage, more more Kaseya. I think not necessarily more of those vectors, but the um, quite similar. Right. Similar, yeah. There's so much like com- computing infrastructure that's supporting what you know. We now kind of people who had never used the phrase supply chain are now using that they're they're understanding what it makes right. up. Uh, supply chain. So kind of like in the software world where you have uh, technical debt and infrastructure, technical debt that you take on, you know, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowingly. In the cybersecurity world, I think a lot of the uh, problems that have uh, basically been security debt are now coming to, uh, you know, to to the forefront. And uh, so I think it's um, simultaneously, there's also going to be um, uh, a lot of new um, vectors around, you know, cloud native and as people with the um, big push of digi- digitization, you know, that's happening and the digital mm-hmm. transformation that was kind of forced upon everybody. It was kind of in the fledging st- stages before COVID, but it kind of, you know, really went out there at right. COVID with everybody meeting a remote worker. So I think there's a lot of... Um, Areas around SASE and remote workers that are um, going to be uncovered and have to be dealt with. Mm. Um, so do you? So I, I've seen that over the last um, maybe uh, two months, um, ransomware ha- has has slowed a bit. Is that what, what you guys are seeing? And um, you know, what, or what do you think we're in store for when it comes to, to ransomware uh, this year? I think, um, I mean, ransomware, we're not really seeing, a, we're seeing an evolution of it. I wouldn't quite call it a slowing, you know, which kind of gives a, a, a connotate, you know, like an impression that, you know, we can kind of ease off the pedal on it, but yeah. that, that's not true. You know, it, it's getting more sophisticated. I mean, a lot of these vectors that the ransomware is taking advantage of have been there for a really long time. And so the, you know, the, the, the kind of moral of the story is that we can't, as an industry, kind of sit idly by and you know, kind of be happy about the achievements that achievements that we've made. Um, you know, instead of focusing on going what we're doing going forward, and that's I've, I've seen some of that in the industry, and I, I think we need to change that. And I think enterprises as well 
um, you know, are now going to be blending the, the security aspects that are being exposed by ransomware with things like privacy. Because the thing, one thing that people think of kind of as an afterthought to ransomware is all that data is actually being exfiltrated somewhere in a lot of cases, not all cases, a lot of cases, it's just being encrypted locally, but it's being exfiltrated as well, because that's still happening. And, um, you know, in addition, like prior to it being encrypted. And so that's, that's information from people and, uh, you know, processes and, and business IP. So we've already hit on uh, two big bullet points, you know, supply chain attacks and ransomware. Um, you know, what, what, what aren't enough people talking about when it comes to cyber attacks? You know, what's, what's flying under the radar? Um, I, I think the, the vendors, unfortunately, are, are um, in a lot of cases confusing the, the enterprises with, uh, you know, acronyms. So like XDR, you know, next gen SIM. I mean, it, it, we have this tendency to like bolt next gen on front of everything and say that it's new when it really is just rebranded. Um, and so I think um, that that you know the the people are f trying to um, the vendors are trying to get everybody into their you know one ecosystem, and that's um, proven time and time again that you really need to take more of a best of breed approach. Um, and you know that isn't necessarily like let's just pick the best in every category, but it's really looking at like what your business is and what you do in order to pick the best fit for what your business is and what you're trying to achieve. Even um, if we were able to provide businesses the best security and protection in the world, they themselves are going to have varying degrees of appetite for risk. And uh, some businesses are going to look at cybersecurity um, issue as more of a, an enabler for their business um, mm. by mitigating the risk and understanding the risk, having visibility into it, where others are going to be very risk averse and just want to you know, be like, I want guaranteed that I want protected. And um, you know, they're, they're both, you know, legitimate views, but, you know, clearly the ones that um, look at uh, leveraging cybersecurity as a, an enabler for their business, as opposed to just something we have to bolt on, I think are going to be more successful. Um, so, you know, these, these cyber attacks will, you know, continue, uh, you know, and, you know, while the, the cybersecurity skills gap uh, remains, so how you know, are we addressing this and are we, um, are we doing enough to address it? It's a good point. I mean, it, it's ever since I've been in uh, cybersecurity, which has been a while, um, the skills gap has, has always come, you know, been an issue. And that's always been a talking point about, uh, you know, outsourcing <laughs> companies and providers that have that, mm. that kind of, a, you know, a, a collection of skills that an enterprise otherwise wouldn't be able to obtain or wouldn't want to because it's not their core business. Um, it's uh, it, 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 it's really um, there. A lot of the processes and the things that humans would normally do in security are. I see a ramp up and acceleration of automation around that in order to you know address uh, in a way the skills gap as well. So, for example, being able to you know stitch together the entire timeline of an event you know from the point when the first request comes in to the point when the you know the the final transaction of that uh, that that endpoint that that's doing the request when it completes and that you know traverses so many networks so many different technologies and being able to stitch all that together is very laborious and sims have taken you know a, an approach of trying to do that but they've really failed i mean you know the the, the concept of failed sim implementations is uh, you know, 
as prevalent as failed ERP implementations these days. And so um, being able to um, stitch all that together in a very automated fashion so that you can mitigate the risk associated with the skills gap, I think is, we're gonna see a lot of that. I think um, a lot more use of uh, machine learning, um, not just in a marketing context, but in a practical context of you know, trying to not necessarily uh, do repeat exactly what a human would do. Like you're not gonna use, have this you know, mythical ML uh, model that's going to replace people. You know, I mean, there might be one or two occasions where that's the case, but for the most part, that's not true. It's going to replace, it's going to be assistive for them. So you could have fewer people actually doing more advanced activities because a lot of the basic, um, you know, uh, grunt work is being done by engines that are being taught continually and improving. And that, I, I think we're going to see an acceleration of that this year. Um, so as you know, um, you know, one of the reasons uh, that cybersecurity has been in the headlines, you know, uh, pretty much every day for the last two years is, you know, largely due to remote work and just that, that elimination of the, the IT perimeter. So, um, you know, do you think uh, we're, we're getting a grip on securing, you know, this, this distributed work model? Um, and, you know, because remote work isn't going away anytime soon. Um, you know, so are, are we, are we any closer to getting a group on that? Um, I, I think we're, I mean, I think we're, we're closer from a pure, um, you know, incremental improvement standpoint, but I still think we have a tremendous amount uh, of tremendous ways to go, you know, with the, the, the kind of the evolution of SD-WAN over into, you know, SASE and the remote workers, um, and, you know, pushing more stuff out to the edge is uh, you know, a good start at addressing those issues because you know, the remote workers really haven't been addressed in a holistic manner previously. And that's you know, one of the attempts of SASE and um, the, all of the ecosystem that goes around that. Um, but I also see a lot of vendors bolting on older technologies, uh, relabeling them and bolting them on and saying, you know, we have the perfect solution for you know, all scenarios. You just need to come to us and that's it. And I don't, I, I, you know, vendors, they, they come and go, um, but they also, you know, leapfrog each other in terms of capabilities over time. And enterprises, it's very hard to keep up with that with the enterprises. So, um, you know, again, uh, stitching all that together to where you can see that activity, you know, not just uh, say, well, they're outside of my perimeter, they're, they're in front of my moat, so I can't see them and I can't, you know, help them. Um, I think we need to have the same level of visibility the same level of um, detection and the same level of response capability, irrespective of where you are. I mean, one of the original, um, you know, back 20 plus years ago, when um, we, I, I was on a project, we were uh, developing a uh, infrastructure for uh, a managed service provider for doing distributed management because the teams were all over the world. Our, our goal was that, you know, from like a Starbucks, you know, it sounds horrible today, but from a Starbucks, if there was like a, uh, a disaster, you know, you, they'd be able to continue work there in a protected manner, you know, multi-factor authentication, you know, encryption, everything else. Um, and that was kind of the, the goal rather than trying to think, oh, well, now that we've built this perfect, you know, moat around everything, um, let's just, uh, you know, try and extend the moat. <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. So things like micro-segmentation at the application level, application awareness, um, right. th those are going to be really important because you're really mitigating your risk associated with any one particular um, application being compromised or, um, you know, uh, constraining, you know, a bad actor from spreading uh, wide, widely throughout an organization. 
Um, I think we've taken a big chunk out of the, the awareness problem. Um, I think, you know, just the sheer volume of, of incidents the last two years has, has um, you know, helped in that regard. I mean, like I said before, it's uh, in the news almost every day now. And I think that actually helps uh, spread awareness of it. Um, I, I think so. Sorry to interrupt, but I, but I've also, oh, yeah, please, please. it has Sorry. the effect of like a numbing effect with people as well. And right. I, I, I think that's really bad because people right. Right. get desensitized to it and it just becomes kind of a, you know, this is expected and I don't think it should be expected. You know, um, it, it, it's, it's very, um, you know, yeah, people think, oh, well, that business got hacked. That's a shame. You know, you really need to contextualize it in, in terms of the person as well. So whether your data was, uh, you know, used because everybody's using apps nowadays in order to do, you know, Instacart, Uber Eats, you know, localized apps and all this private data is going out, whether it's credit card information or personal information. And so you really need to, I think if people more, more contextualized it and applied it to like their own data, as opposed to just thinking there's this thing that's happening to somebody else and you know, the result is I'm seeing higher gas prices because the pipeline OT network was shut down, you know, in, in a particular region. Right. Um, they, they need to think like, hey, that actually has cascading impacts on it. And that, that desensitization is, um, you know, making that difficult to provide that context. Right. So how do you keep, um, you know, how do you keep cybersecurity fresh in, in people's minds? How do you prevent them from getting, you know, kind of burnt out on it? You know, I, 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 I believe it's really about um, uh, when, when we as cybersecurity professionals, rather than trying to take this purist, you know, almost, uh, you know, 100% technical view at uh, solving a, a cybersecurity problem, we need to put it in terms, not just in, in explanation, but also in practice um, that people understand in their day-to-day -day lives, you know? So um, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, people who use uh, Google's Nest, you know, for the thermostat, right? They're, they're very used to using the app now. Um, they, you know, uh, online using the, the, um, the, the website in order to change their temperatures. There's the integration with the, um, uh, the cameras and it's, you know, swipe, 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 you're done. And so it's easy to do. But when you flip over to the enterprise side, all of a sudden it's, you know, this thing that people go, ooh, this is really difficult and complex. And so I think if it's more, simplification of mm. our industry in terms that uh, the average person who's in the enterprise can relate to, we're going right. to get better engagement. And when you get better engagement, you can do things like, you know, user awareness for like malware campaigns, not, not in, you know, very technical terms, because, you know, I'm sure a lot of enterprises, they have training programs for their employees. Like once a year, they have to go through inf information security training and things like, you know, don't click on this link, don't, you know, download this file, don't do whatever, you know, best practice stuff. But it, it, it's more of a chore because I don't think it's being related yeah. in terms that they can understand in their day-to-day -day life. So if we yeah. try to become more friendly in that sense and adapt our uh, technologies to, to, you know, and, and how people use our technologies and our services, I think that's actually going to go a long way. Right, right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, kind of a... a phrase that you've probably heard a million times that end users don't care how things work yes. um, as long as they work and, and keep them safe they don't care about the technical details yeah i mean it, it's it's a fact that you know the most times people are going to choose convenience over quality i mean yeah. if, 
it's a it's a human trait. I mean, of course you want both, but when it comes down to it, people are gonna choose convenience. And so we should take that, you know, uh, that lesson and try and make our, um, you know, industry more relatable and um, easier to use. Mm. Um, so I also wanna talk about um, the role that the, the US government is playing. So I think they've been, they've been very involved uh, via executive orders. Um, is it SZA or SZA? How do you how do you pronounce that acronym? Uh, I've heard both. <laughs> All right, so let's go with SZA because that's what I heard Krebs say on the news one time. Yeah. Um, so so like I said, uh, they you know the government's been very active. Um, SZA has been extremely active. Um, Biden has released you know uh, a few uh, executive orders addressing cybersecurity in the government. Um, you know, do you think uh, at the very least, I think these efforts are setting setting a certain tone. And um, apparently they convinced Russia to arrest uh, um, our evil folks. Is it re also revil or our evil? I don't know. The Again, I've, I've gotten out of the acronym, the, the name correction game. <laughs> yeah. So, so those guys, so those guys, you know, are, you know, allegedly being charged with crimes. Um, and, you know, that was possibly at the urging of the U.S. government. Uh, so, you know, do you think these efforts are making any any kind of a, a sizable uh, impact? Um, you know, I really think uh, more effort needs to be focused on the early prevention and uh, rather than, you know, headlines after the fact. I mean, yeah. it's nice to know that these type of things are happening after the fact, but it's really not, you know, you, you, the, the typical line is, you know, we're gonna make an example out of somebody to discourage others to do it. I don't, I don't see that happening in cybersecurity because it doesn't discourage anybody, you know, and whether it's a nation state, it sure wouldn't dis discourage a nation state or it's, you know, uh, uh, organized crime groups, they're, 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 they don't care. You know, there, there's enough people out there and enough opportunity to where it's still worthwhile. So, I've, you know, again, while it's, it's, it's good from a raising a, a you know, um, a visibility perspective, I really think there needs to be more focus on, you know, what do you do from a foundational perspective in order to try and uh, either prevent or at least, um, you know, compartmentalize the risk that's associated with with cybersecurity. And I do see some of that in terms of like the zero trust announcement, and the encouragement that's coming out right. of the, the government and stuff. And that that's a good start. But you know, what's going to happen now is a bunch of vendors are just going to be we're zero trust, we're zero trust, and you know, <laughs> that's that that's not you know the, necessarily the solution. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're already kind of seeing that. We, yeah, we, yeah. we are, yeah. And, and that they, you know, you ask six different people what zero trust means and you get seven different answers. Right, right. Um, yeah, Greg, um, you know, anything else that, you know, IT folks need to look out for, um, you know, this year and beyond, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, attack vectors or, or any, any other cybersecurity topics? I think I, I really encourage collaboration among, uh, you know, uh, within and across industry, you know, mm. uh, and especially at the cybersecurity level, you know, there's been some good efforts made to, um, you know, for industries to get together and try and share information like threat intelligence and, um, you know, tactics and stuff like that. But, and I, I would like to see a lot more of that. I'd like to see right. industry step up more in a formal manner and encourage that and kind of break the barriers down between the communication because there's still a, a um, it's taboo, right? To, to talk about, you know, what's happening within a company, right. uh, for their, their security. And I think we need to kind of open our, you know, um, our kimono and be like, you know, hey, this is what's happening on my side. What are you seeing? And yeah. you know, 
like in my role as you know CTO of a of large service security services provider, you know we are in a way you know helping our clients do that because we're crossing industries and being able to um, you know facilitate that collaboration by way of our services to them. But I, I would like to see independent of that, you know, that that there be more of that. Um, and and it, I'm I'm hoping that it, it I'm seeing more movement. I'm hoping it gets uh, accelerates even more. Actually, that that um, brings up another thing that I wanted to ask you about. Um, so I've been uh, I've written about this a couple of times. Just burnout, uh, not just cybersecurity, but I, IT as well. I think that's uh, a huge issue. Uh, and just you know, retaining talent, you know, when when you have it. And then you know, juxtapose that with, with this skills gap uh, that we have in in security. Um, you know, some best best practices to you know uh, find and and retain that talent when when you actually can't find it. It's a good point. You know, it, it's like you know the old phrase, you know, alert fatigue, you know, incident fatigue, and kind of you know thing again. This kind of relates to my point around. Um, you know, desensitization, you know, because it happens so, so often, um, you know, in, just with any industry, you know, just the repetitive nature of what's happening in cybersecurity, you know, whether it's alert management or, you know, uh, data classification, things like that, you know, it, we really need to leverage more um, automation and more, um, you know, intelligence around the automation, not just, um, you know, repetitive, you know, press this button, press this button. I mean, clearly those things need to be automated, but even being able to assist people in making their decisions so they're not having to, you know, analyze the same thing over and over again, because it, it, it's all about patterns and being able to identify the patterns and the deviation within the patterns still keep it within, within identification. Um, right. So it, it's, it, it, it really, um, that to address that issue of the burnout, I, I think there needs to be um, kind of an elevation of people's thinking and you know, let's get the cybersecurity professionals into a higher order of thinking um, uh, across the board and more into the business processes as opposed to just, you know, these, um, you know, security whiz kids that are coming in and saying, I can help secure you. It's like, well, you need to understand the business in mm. order to actually help secure you. And that understanding of the business, I think, will, will help uh, ultimately reduce the fatigue on the cybersecurity professionals um, that are doing, you know, day in day out work. Right, right. I think that's true for, for really any kind of internal IC position. There's more, more um, integration between the the tech side of things and the business side, business side of things. Correct. Yeah. You know, AI ops. You know, uh, the other, you know, area. It, it, it's very similar, right? It, it's mm -hmm. not just you know automating a repetitive task, but it's introducing intelligence into the automation, and it, it's all in support of getting you know your resources to do to be you know more thinkers as opposed to just, um, you know, pressing a button all the time. Uh, very good, Greg. Uh, thanks very much. I, uh, I appreciate your time.